in the book of Judges. We're in Judges chapter 6. We were here a couple weeks ago, and uh, last week, if you were here, Roger preached, and he is in Monticello, I believe, today, right? Is that what he, where he is, Donna? You sent him down, down to the other end of the, the county, so, uh, but he's preaching there today, so be in prayer. There are our missionaries of the week. Be praying for them. And a lot of activity going on this week as well, so be in prayer for our camp. Uh, by the way, if uh, I don't know, some had called me and said they didn't get notification about their registrations, and I do have a copy of that if you need to talk to me after church. But basically, I think we have around 37 that's all signed up for camp this week. We're looking forward to that and the start of that on Wednesday. And um, we're still looking for, uh, by the way, some snacks to be brought out per day and I meant to have a sign up out today and but Wednesday morning uh, we're going to be taking those snacks out and then Wednesday Thursday and Friday we need uh, snacks we will buy some snacks if we don't get enough uh, as far as uh, people making them but I know that some of the ladies uh, like to do that Um, and so if you if you want to take that on we're going to have all together probably over 50 people there at camp and um uh, if you want to make some snacks, drop them off here at the church or give them to somebody that's going out, and uh, we'll make sure those get brought out for the lunch time out there so or during the snack time. So, All right, that's enough said about that, and if you have any further questions, uh, talk to me after church here. Um, we're in the book of Judges, and today we come to the call of Gideon. And Gideon is an interesting character among those that are found here in this uh, book, this historical book called Judges. He was a leader that was raised up in Israel. Um, I find that of the different judges, I, I tend to identify with, well, probably with a little bit for all of them, but I identify with Gideon in that sometimes we think that we're just kind of obscure and don't need, you know, God's not paying any attention to our lives and what we're doing, and all of a sudden God just shows up and he interjects some things into your life and, and he calls you to do something and and you're, if you're like me and like Gideon, you kind of think, well, he's got the wrong guy, for sure. But, and that's kind of Gideon. He, he was always doubting in some ways. He doubts that God can really pick the right person and do what God claimed he was going to do through Gideon. But yet, he does the will of God. And I think that, you know, ultimately that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants is not only the fact that to be available to serve him uh, and even serve him in difficult times, Times when it would be far harder than maybe in previous times, but yet the time where God takes and he puts his hand on an individual or many individuals and he raises them up for a season and to to do that. Now we know from the book of Judges it is a series that really of time frames of about 400 years altogether and it's a picture really of the cycle that Israel went through um, when they came into their land after the time of Joshua Remember, they're in the land. The land has been divided up. And that generation that promised to serve the Lord and have their household serve the Lord, in just a a few, really, years past that, they begin to go back into idolatry and doing the things that God told them not to do. And they suffered the consequences of that sin and their sin. And God told them through Moses way back, he said, if you you depart from me, uh, the consequences are going to be great. And they would end up in captivity or be slaves or be plagued by the enemy as the enemy came back into their land. Uh, Again, the book of Judges is pictured as 
really the physical struggle, spiritual struggle as well, that was going on in Israel. But it pictures for us as believers, as Christians, the, the struggle that he wants or he, he has us in as well. And the struggle to break free of that cycle of sin that can come back and again and again and instead repent and find that grace and forgiveness in Christ. And he wants to use us for him in his glory, not just our selfish acts. And so the book of Judges is one of those that I find it both encouraging and also reproving at least when I read through it, because there's always the little bit of those times represented in Judges in my own life, and they nip at me one way or the other. And if you yield to sin, you end up in a very spiritual or a spiritually barren place. But if we repent and turn to Christ, he's there to forgive, to cleanse, to restore, to empower, to do all of that. And that's why I love going through this book, because it just reminds us of the power of God in a life that is submitted to him. Well, we come to Gideon. Last time we looked at the opening verses of chapter 6, and we found out it was a dark time in Israel. Um, lots of problems going on, and more than anything, they had become impoverished and had become really uh, fearful of the enemy, and their food had been taken from them, all kinds of things going on. It, weren't, it wasn't a good time to be in the land. We pick it up reading in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if... The Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he had put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Then or the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. 
So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abrazorites. Lord, we ask you to work today and open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, help us to be obedient to what you teach us. And may you just, even today, show us the wonder of Jesus Christ, our great Savior, and in whose name we pray, amen. We have here the account of the call of Gideon. And if you want a little outline, uh, not original with me, but an outline I've seen several different varieties of, but it really lays out what goes on here in this section of Scripture that we just read. But we find, and we kind of tie this into the last time we met, um, on the, the Gideon's circumstances. We know a little bit about his circumstances. First of all, they were in a time when um, it, it was very difficult to live in the land. In verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while the son, his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, I'll start from the end of that verse where it says, in order to hide it from the Midianites. We were introduced to them in the last study in the beginning of the chapter where the Midianites had come in and they were uh, raiding bands of basically, you know, raiders, I guess is what it would be, not to, not to get on the raider family there. But anyways, that's the good raiders. These were the bad raiders, just so you know. And we find that they would come into the land and they were basically taking all the food crops, destroying the crops in some cases, and stealing the animals. And Israel had gone and hidden in the mountains so that they could um, avoid this, okay, and avoid those things. Made it very difficult for them to grow crops and to live and all those things. And here you find Gideon and he shows up threshing out wheat in the wine press. Now, the place of the wine press, because grapes are heavy when you harvest them and you, in baskets or whatever, that you go downhill when you harvest them, bringing them down to the wine press, right? So you start high and you work your way down so you're not bringing them uphill. And that's the natural kind of way, I guess, you would harvest grapes on, on hills and things. And so there you would bring those down. Now, wheat is threshed out in the high places, because the way you thresh out wheat by uh, rolling heavy, well, usually stones over a threshing floor and breaking open the hard kernel of wheat and separating them and all that, you have to take that now cracked wheat and bring it up and throw it up in the air and the wind will take the chaff away and the grain seeds fall to the floor. And we find the best place for that would be up on the high places in the hills and things like that where the wind is always present. So you kind of picture here is Gideon and he's threshing wheat down in a place where it's probably not very windy, in a place where you normally don't do that. And he's doing it because it's probably harvest time for the wheat. And he figures if I'm up there, the Midianites are going to see me and they're going to come take my grain. And it probably wasn't a lot of grain to begin with. Just enough for them to survive. We know they were impoverished during this time. And it was a hand-to-mouth existence at best. And so there's a lot resting on this little bit of crop that Gideon has. And we see this mighty man of valor, that's what God calls him, hiding from the Midianites down in the winepress area. And again, you see that kind of, um, I don't know, 
dichotomy of the way God calls a man who is, seems like a man of no courage and calls him a man, mighty man of valor. Uh, and, and he does that. Anyways, we read a little bit more about that. And the, uh, the name of Gideon itself means he who cuts down. And I think Gideon had the right name. He was going to be one who would eventually be used of God to lead a very small army against a rather large army. And he would be victorious. And he'd be victorious because God was going to use him. But Gideon was known as, again, that man and his name meaning he who cuts down. Well, we look at a little bit of the circumstances. And back from our last study in the book of Judges, in uh, chapter 4 of this chapter, it says, uh, excuse me, verse 4 of this chapter, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, that's way down into the desert, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. This is what the Midianites were doing. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now we talk about that cycle where the nation would go off into sin and there would be about a generation there, 20, 30, 40 years, and then all of a sudden they'd had enough and they would cry out to God again and God would answer. And that is the way God is. He is quick to answer, but God does not force his will upon you to make you repent he may make things difficult in your life so that you have very little option but to repent but nevertheless i've discovered that people can be very hard-hearted and getting all kinds of problems in their life due to sin and still not want to repent of the sin which is the base of the problem and we find here it finally had come to a time when it was enough they were impoverished uh, they they were endangered And they're worried about their very life's existence. And they finally cry out to God. And God has a man in the waiting. And I like that because I do believe that God always has his servants out there. And he has the right person for the the hour. The right person prepared. And here we see a little bit more about that. It was a time of poverty. And... They were there in the threshing, or pulling the threshing sled, the noreg, as it is in Hebrew. And he's walking over the grain and doing all that. And then he's got to go and thresh that out. And I'm sure as, as Gideon is doing that, he's thinking, oh, this would be a whole lot easier if I could do it up on the hills, up in the mountains. But he, he doesn't. And all of that is going on. And God sees him and takes note of his work and what he's doing. It was a time of persecution. We know that um, here is Gideon. He's hiding out. He's hiding out because the Midianites would see him and no doubt it would actually put him and his family and others in, in jeopardy. And so in a very prudent way, that's why he's hiding. And it was a time of being powerless. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You just feel totally powerless because the circumstances of your life have have just come down upon you. And it's not necessarily your own problems. We don't have evidence here that Gideon was out uh, himself uh, committing idolatry. We do know, later on we'll talk about this, that in his father's household there was idolatry going on. But Gideon was doing the right things, but 
he nevertheless was caught up in the judgment that was falling upon them for the sin of a nation. And I'm reminded of that, that even those who walk righteously with the Lord will face the heavy hand sometimes of judgment that comes upon a nation or comes upon just the culture that embraces sin. And don't be, don't expect that just because you're walking with the Lord, you won't feel the effects of that. No doubt, here's Gideon. He's feeling the full weight of the, the, the nation straying from God. And my friends, be ready for that. If you haven't already experienced that and how it feels in our world today, while we sense that there's a, a time, I believe, of persecution arising here in the West. And it will come. And it will get worse, probably, unless a nation repents. And you as Christians may face that. And it should not take us by surprise. Well, we find it was a time of being powerless. I no doubt this man whose name means he who cuts down, he's now hiding out and he can't do anything about cutting down the enemy or anything like that. He finds himself threshing wheat in a wine press. Well, let's look at his call. We come to verse 12 of Judges chapter 6 and it says, And the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And it's important that here this one who appears, and I believe fully that this is what we would call theologically a theophany or a Christophany specifically. Uh, Theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord um, be, that means before the incarnation right and before he put on flesh and dwelt among us and there are several instances in scripture where the angel of the lord the word angel means messenger the messenger of yahweh the messenger of jehovah comes and we find the rea- by the reaction and the context that it is indeed the lord himself not just an angel a created being but rather the Lord himself. And when he makes the statement, the Lord, the name Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God that he declared in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, he says, Yahweh is with you, you mighty man of valor. And uh, I I think that would have been quite a wake-up call. We know at the end of this section of scripture, we read a little few, few verses on, that Gideon recognizes this is God. This is God. Anyways, the Lord is with you. There are several instances in the Old Testament we find where the Lord appears to man and appears to people. We find Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. The Lord appears to Adam and Eve. And then Abraham in Genesis 18. And he's sitting under a tree. And the Lord appears to him in the heat of the day. How about Hagar in the wilderness? That's in Genesis 16. Um, we, we find Jacob at the river uh, Yabok in Genesis chapter 32. And there he wrestles with a man. And that man indeed is God. And to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. That's where the name Lord, uh, capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. The underlying Hebrew word is the, the covenant name for the creator, Yahweh. And that is where he revealed himself. And then to Balaam, the Lord appears to Balaam. And then to Joshua at Jericho. That's, by the way, Balaam's Numbers 22. Joshua is Joshua chapter 5. That's at Jericho. And the Lord appears to him before the battle. And then to the parents of Samson in Judges chapter 13. We'll get to that. 
So there's several times, and here, several times where the Lord appears, and he appears as, as a man, or in this case, because um, that's what he says here, um, an angel. But again, the word angel means messenger. And he's literally God himself bringing the message of himself to Gideon. And that shouldn't surprise us. And some of you might be sitting here going, well, that would be kind of cool if God just showed up, right? And then, you know, he was right here with us. And the Bible says he is. And he is with us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise of the presence of the Lord is with every believer. And today, on this side of, uh, of uh, Pentecost, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is actually, you're sealed unto the day of redemption, and you're, he is in you presently. God can't get much closer to the believer than to be in you. And in John chapter 14, Jesus taught on that, where he says, The Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive. See, you can only receive the Spirit of God by being yourself renewed and born again. And when you are born again by faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Don't expect the world out there that has rejected Christ to understand the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Isn't that a great promise? We're reminded of that. Here the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, You mighty man of valor. I love that because I'm sure Gideon was thinking, um, there must be somebody else in the room, right? Looked around. Who are you talking about? Mighty man of valor. He's hiding from the Midianites. He's not a man of courage, at least not by his fruit of his action. But God looks on the heart, doesn't he? God sees him who he really is. And he sees Gideon as the man that he can use. Now, I might not have picked Gideon, but I don't have eyes like the Lord. Right? Book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the idea of not only is he an omnipresent God, but he's an omniscient God. He knows all things and he can look at a guy threshing wheat in the wine press and he can say you mighty man of valor because he sees him right in his heart and i would say he saw beyond the heart of gideon because at that very moment gideon is confused and he doubts that god has the right guy and even through our doubts god sees beyond that he sees what we're what we're really going to be like and the promise in scripture, of course, for the Christian is it will be like Christ someday. All the things that drive you now will not be that way forever. And I'm glad that if you yield to him now, uh, we can walk with him and do that. There is so much that the Bible talks about the Lord and who he is. Psalm 139, that whole psalm deals with this idea that God is present with us. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Wow. 
You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You ever have a word on your tongue? You haven't said it yet, but it's there. Only you know it and God. He's there. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. And that psalm goes on and on and on. Just reiterates that idea that God is with us. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Uh, We need a God like that. We need a God like that. There are several illustrations in scripture where we see this. First of all, I think of the call of David in 1 Samuel. We know a little bit about David. He was going to be God's king. And he was a very special man because out of the family of David would come Messiah, would come the Christ. And we knew that God made a covenant with David. But when we're first introduced to David, he's the youngest of a whole bunch of boys. And he's the least of all of them. And he's not even fully grown yet. And God looks beyond his age. He looks beyond his circumstances. And he sees a king. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Amen. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And oh, I'm thankful he knows you. And he knows you better than I know you or anybody else. Because only God can see you in the heart. You come to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, and he says this in that, later on in that same chapter. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was, he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. He's sort of a ruddy complexion. I kind of think of that, you know, red cheeks and bright eyes and good looking young little strapping lad. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Imagine Samuel, you know, of course, Samuel's been let in on this already, but he's thinking, but wait a minute, Jesse's household has all these other boys and some of them are, are old enough now. They're in their strength and they're full grown and And surely they would be a better choice. But no, I'm going to take the least. And the youngest. And this boy. And that's what he looked like, a boy. And I'm going to make him a king. That's the way God is, isn't he? Aren't you glad that he is that way? Well, we see Gideon's call. A lot like David. But we see also his confusion. His confusion. Look at this. Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, my God, or O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And again, we see 
Gideon questioning the Lord. And he has legitimate questions. They, these are, and by the, I've said this over and over again, God can handle your questions. Sometimes we think that if I question God, somehow that shows that I have a lack of faith. Well, maybe you do have a lack of faith, but go to God with that and say, Lord, I'm lacking faith here. I don't see how you can work this out in my life or how you can fix this problem in my family or how I can even see beyond it should it just remain with me the rest of my life. God sees the very, well, he sees the beginning from the end, doesn't he? And he sees everything in between. And he tells him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. He questions God's presence. There in the very, very beginning, you know, um, of chapter, that verse 13, he says, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And, you know, I grew up in Sunday school. They told me about all those miracles that took place. And yet, I haven't seen those miracles. Is God with us? You know, there's people that are questioning that even now, and maybe somebody here, I hope not, but somebody here that has that question. My Sunday school just, we just got done Sunday school, and they've told me about these miracles. But I haven't seen any miracles. Listen, he's still God of miracles. He's still God of power and wonder. And he's awesome. And he'll use you if you'll let him. But sometimes we question God's presence. We pray and we say, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't think God even hears my prayers. And I had a friend once remind me when I, was, I said that. I said, I feel like God's just not listening. And I, my prayer's bouncing off the ceiling. He said, God's under the ceiling, you know. Good reminder. A lot of theology wrapped right up in that one statement. God who's under the ceiling. He's with you. And there's no place you can run from him. Or no place that you can go. No place low enough on this earth or anywhere else. Where he's not there already. And he's there to hear you. He questions God's performance. You know, 200 years ago, they brought, you know, God delivers. Well, 250 years from this time, God delivered Israel out of Egypt. And for that amount of time, here's Gideon's been raised in this, and he hasn't seen something like that. And yet, God did a lot of other things, didn't he? Brought the people into the land, did a mighty miracle, or several miracles there with Joshua, and then later, even among the judges. But sometimes we're quick to forget. And somehow we think, if, if we haven't seen that, that somehow God is less God. I was thinking about that in the context of... Um, the way the New Testament opens. The close of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, all the way to the beginning of um, the book of Matthew, in your Bible it's probably one page, or if you have a study Bible, a few pages of notes in between. But there's just one page there, and, and you kind of go from there right into the Gospels of the presentation of Jesus Christ, the Savior who's born. But there's 400 years of history between the close of the book of Malachi to the opening of the Gospels and 400 years they called the silent years. And yet there were people who were waiting and watching. Some of them never saw anything in their lifetime. There was no 400-year-old people during you know, the, the birth of Christ. They were just as old as the generation. Some maybe 100, you know, some 80, some 40, some 10. And they had not seen the promise fulfilled that the Messiah was going to come. Did he not come? He did. 400 years couldn't keep him. 
People's doubts couldn't keep him. Roman Empire couldn't keep him from coming. Nothing could stop God's timing and his plan. Gideon questioned God's performance, his time. And then he questions him, uh, in, in other words, that he questions God's own judgment of, I'm saying like his perception, of Gideon himself. And when he questions in verse 14, and he says, Go in this, your, this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he goes and he says, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? God, you've got the wrong person here. I've said that often. God, you've got the wrong person. This Look, he says, he says, Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. You have the whole tribe of Manasseh, and he was of the weakest clan in Manasseh. The last place you would even go looking for a deliverer. And then he says, I'm the least in my father's house. Wow. And here he is. God shows up to him. You ever feel that way? You feel like you're the least of the least of the least. And, and, and you sometimes think, and this happens all over, you, know, you say, I don't think anybody even knows I exist. God does. He sees you. He knows you. He has given your, you meaning and purpose and destiny. Wow. All that wrapped up in him. Not in me or anything else this world can offer you. I like that. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Surely I will be with you. God's word is as strong as his promises. And he always keeps his promises. And he says, You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Too often, that's the way we kind of come at things. We're confused at best, not sure what he's doing. And, you know, God reminds him that I am with you, Gideon. I'm with you. And if God's not in it, it's in vain, right? Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Uh, That is absolute, obviously absolute truth. But when you think historically, if God is in it, you can take one man and defeat an army. If God isn't in it, then it doesn't matter how big a military you have, how big a world power you have, how much money you have, it is destined to fail. Build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build whatever you're building in your life on Him, and it won't fail. The Lord guards the city. We have the thoughts of that on on that. But you know, Jesus taught it this way in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. I marvel that I get up here on Sunday mornings, I look out and there's still a crowd of people here. And I wonder why. Well, I know why. You're not here because of me. You're not here because of each other only. I know it is good to be together. But we're here because of the Lord. He's both saved us and offered us salvation. He's fed our souls over the years. And he's done that for over a whole generation. And I'm so thankful of the younger generation coming up. And I'm thankful for what they're doing and how they're 
also taking responsibility in that. But none of it is possible without the Lord and people abiding in him. He says you can do nothing without him. God delights in using the weak things, doesn't he? And we see that in not only Gideon's life, but that's the way God is. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and and it would be fitting that Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee and a real somebody at one time, he was converted and he became a nobody. He was least of all the saints, he says. And he was not worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. And yet God in his grace found him, reached out to him, and he repented and he comes to faith in Christ. And he's, he's to me, one of the heroes of the faith, right? Because God was with him. But Paul, later, that one that he identified as, as little, that's what the word Paul means, um, he comes and he, and he teaches the Corinthian church. And in this opening of 1 Corinthians, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He doesn't say any called, but not many. And the reason is, God is delighted in using those who, first of all, recognize their need, their need for him. There's a lot of people out there today that didn't get up this morning and go to a church, didn't open up their Bible. They've got other plans today to satisfy their life and all of that and their leisure. And God has not even come up on their radar. He's not looking for those kind of people. He's looking for the ones that got up and were hungry today for spiritual food. He's looking for those that are desperate in their circumstances of life and have no way out except through him. He's anxious to use people that are ready to be used and to, by faith, trust him. You see, when our weaknesses in in our flesh, we have to learn to trust him or else we'll trust ourselves. But he goes on to say, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. See, God delights in the fact that we get together and we say, Lord, you're big and we're not. God, you're powerful and I'm not. God, you're holy and I'm not. And I need you. And I need your holiness. I need your power. I need your presence. I need all that. And and no flesh can glory in his presence. Ultimately, that's the way it's going to be with those that are not trusting in him today. They will stand before him someday. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For many, it will be too late by then. It will be too late because they rejected him their whole life and trusted in their own flesh. And their flesh let them down in death or whatever else and has let them down, and now they stand before the one, the very one, the only way they could have been saved for all eternity, and they stand before him, and they recognize what they could have had. But he says, depart from you, I never knew you. You see, no flesh can glory in the presence of God. Only his glory. And that's how we have to come to him in faith. Well, we end up with the confirmation of Gideon. The last part of this section, 
Gideon's confirmation. Verse 16, um, actually, Judges, yeah, it says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And again, we see how God reaffirms to him that uh, he has called him, and that he was going to actually go and defeat the Midianites, which was their chief enemy at the time and their biggest problem. Really, the biggest problem was that they had strayed from God. But now they were calling out. And Gideon is going to be the one that is being used. And I'm thankful because God is a patient God. He didn't just wipe them out and start over because they strayed from him. It's a good thing. None of us would be here if that's the way God was. Instead, he was patient and he allowed them to get under that hand of affliction long enough to when they finally said, I need you. And they called out and God was right there. Present. Verse 18 Gideon says, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Now, he understands who this one is. Because we find he's coming to bring an offering, and it's particularly it's going to be a burnt offering, um, to the Lord himself. And and, in scripture, that would have been idolatry if it wasn't the Lord. It would have been blasphemy if it wasn't the Lord. And if it was just an angel, the angel would have had to have rebuked him. But it's the angel of the Lord, God himself. And he said, I will wait until you come back. There the Lord, in his, he, he continues to remain there. And Gideon goes to get a sacrifice. And to bring that sacrifice back to the rock. And by the way, that's the way God is. And the picture that is going on here is a little mini picture of what the gospel is. You see, God wants us to come to him and he is the sacrifice on the rock. And he's the one that, whose fire was really poured out on the rock. And that which was on the rock, which was Christ himself, God. And it was poured out on him. And we get his forgiveness by his act of really salvation for us. The act of, of atonement where he took our sin. He took the wrath of God. He took all of that. That's seen in the sacrifice of Christ. It's pictured here in the sacrifice that, was, that Gideon was going to bring before the Lord as well. It's confirmed here by his, his uh, presentation. And he goes on to say this. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. By the way, to prepare a young goat, it required the goat be killed. And the word for goat is kid. And it could be... You know, what we would say kid today, as far as a kid goat, a kid, you know, the sheep can be that way as well. Whatever it was, it was, a, it was an animal that had to die for the sacrifice to be accomplished. Again, a picture of how God is going to have to deal with our sin, in this case in the future is what he was pointing to. But now for us in the past, God had to find a way for something else to die in our place because the wages of sin is death and we face death, not only physical death, but spiritual death, which is separation from God forever and in in hell. And you know, when you think about that, God decided he would find the only thing that could be worthy of our sin and the only sacrifice worthy and the only thing he could find worthy was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the worthy lamb. Worthy is the lamb of God. Worthy. And that will be the cry of the redeemed someday in glory. Only God's lamb. 
truly could remove sin and forgive us. And that took place at Calvary. When God hung on a cross. And there the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he himself became our sin bearer. Well he reminds that and he says. um, he, He took the goat. The unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out under him and the near, under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Pours out the liquid. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of his, the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread and the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Wow. Think about that, what took place. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And why I say not only earlier I think he understood who he was, but here he understood firmly the miracle that took place and the fire that consumed the sacrifice was none other than the very glory of God. And two thoughts come to mind. I just saw God face to face. And I'm in big trouble. Because God told them that no man can look upon his glory. And yet he just saw the glory of God. And I think the first thing Gideon would do. Like, check my pulse here. Am I still here? I'm not consumed with the sacrifice. And God reassures him. Look what it says. Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom, shalom is the term. Do not fear, you shall not die. What words of reassurance. You see, Gideon realizes he's this weak, cowardly man who is a sinner and he's just seen God face to face and he knows he's in big trouble but God says no I've made peace if God hadn't said shalom to him he would have been consumed with the sacrifice by the way if God hadn't extended his hands to you and to me and said shalom shalom you also would be consumed by the fire of God forever But God stretched forth his arms and he hung there on a cross and his cross brings us peace with God. That's what the book of Colossians says. I love this. Talking about Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact replication. He is God, in other words. The firstborn of all creation. In other words, he's over all creation. He's the Lord. That's what the word Lord means. Master. Adonai. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. 
And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made shalom, peace, through the blood of his cross. You see, God offers you peace. And that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. That's it. Gideon found that peace. And you can have that peace too. I hope you have. I hope you've trusted him. I hope you've come to him and you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need, I need salvation. I need forgiveness of my sin. And Lord, without you bringing peace to me, I can't have peace. God was going to use Gideon to bring peace to a nation. He used Jesus Christ himself to bring peace to the world. And I'm glad because we need that kind of peace. Reconciliation to God. Salvation only brought possible through the blood of his cross. Lord, we are grateful again for the word of God. We're grateful for the salvation which is so great a salvation. And we're reminded how can we escape if we neglect so great salvation. We won't escape if we neglect it. So again, I pray, O God, that there's anybody here that's a stranger to you that today they would no longer be a stranger but be a friend be saved from their sin thank you for what you did for us taking the very punishment of sin and the wrath of God upon yourself and rose victorious over sin and death thank you for that that we worship a risen savior who is the lamb of God for worthy is the lamb in Jesus name amen